What's up, everyone? I hope you're doing well this evening. It's Thursday, May 2nd, and this is Raphael Garcia here with Shawan Hughes for episode 119 of the MMA Ratings podcast. How you doing there, Shawan? Why don't you tell us how you're feeling? Uh, not bad. I just incited another riot on Twitter, so I guess there's that. <laughs> What'd you do this time? Uh, somebody was talking, well, of course, somebody was talking about Team Alpha Male and asked my opinion on it. And so I, I, I just gave my honest opinion. I linked one of my articles on MMA ratings, and I guess somebody tagged Justin Buchholz somehow through that, and he was not too happy about my assessment about uh, Cynthia Calvillo. <laughs> so it was problems. Was he actually responding to you again or something like that? Yeah, he was pretty angry. He was like, these people are keyboard warriors. And somebody had to point out to him, they're like, look, dude, he's he's only said good things about you. He's just talking about whole particular holes and tendencies he found in your fighter. And he was right about him. And and then I just got out of it. I, I made a brief statement on Twitter because I, I, I'm a fan of Buck Holtz. I think he's a smart guy. I think Team Alpha Male should have kept him. But just because I'm a fan of his doesn't mean his fighter isn't without flaw. There's no fighter who isn't. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of Holly Holm. And you've seen the articles I've written. You've heard about what I've said about her. She's got certain holes, and I, I'm just going to say the holes she has. I can't, I can't downplay that because it affects the credibility of myself. And if I'm on the show, it affects the credibility of the show or any article I write for MMA ratings. So I got to call it straight down the line. You know, and, some, and fighters get offended when you disagree with them or you say they could work on something, you could say they could be better. When you agree with them, they're like, oh, yeah, you're great. You're wonderful. When you tell them they could do something better, then, you know, they have a beef with you and you don't know what you're talking about. Even though I've worked with higher ranked fighters and, you know, people just come in. People come to me, like people from big organizations contact me to help them with their fighters. Sometimes against people with, from Team Alpha Male. Like I could have been petty, but I decided to be real classy. But I could have been petty and I could have told them my record of my record against Team Alpha Male for people I've helped. It's. I don't have any losses on my side, but I, I decided to keep that off the off the timeline and just keep it moving. So what's interesting is I always love how when people get upset on Twitter like that, they always the fighters and the trainers themselves always want to go to a fighting in person instead of having a conversation about what's being said. It's like, oh well, there must have been people warriors. Look, just because people haven't competed in the field that we're talking about doesn't mean that we don't have knowledge in that space. Doesn't mean we haven't done our time studying and researching the game. I mean, I always laugh because one of the best basketball coaches I've ever known, uh, he was a basketball coach when I was in high school. I think he just retired maybe like two or three years ago, was a dude who was maybe like 5'5", five, five, easily close to 200 pounds, but he still was one of the best basketball coaches that the state had because he knew the game. So I always find it funny when people try to discredit someone for talking about a sport in such a way um, just because they're saying some things that no one else likes. Yeah, I, I always find it funny because people bash like Dana White for being a promoter, but how many people have been promoted for a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar company? They haven't, but they f feel free criticizing him. You know, people do it all the time. And, and in my case, like I said, I, I'm nobody special. I'm not above anybody, but Outside of fighting, I check all the other boxes. And I'm not saying fighting is not a big thing, but, like, there's people who are who have raised champions and coached champions, and they like my opinion. They think I know what I'm talking about. And there's been other coaches who I've gone in on their fighters, and I've never had a response as bad as the two responses I've had from Team Alpha Male. 
you know, we just have conversations about it. They contact me directly. We talk about it. But, you know, like I said, it's it's ridiculous. I'm just tired of it. All right, man. So let's go ahead and um, jump into this conversation. We got a couple of things to talk about today. Obviously, we're going to do some, re- some recaps from this past weekend, as we usually do. Talk a little bit of news. There hasn't been a whole bunch of MMA news this week. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things I've seen. And also look forward to this weekend's UFC event, um, UFC Ottawa. So let's kind of get started off with probably the main story that was going around earlier this week. And apparently, and I'm definitely going to stick with the apparently aspect of it, Brock Lesnar has retired from mixed martial arts, according to UFC president Dana White. Um, Obviously, they were in negotiations. They've been in negotiations for a little while now to bring Lesnar back. He said he was originally mentioned to be fighting Daniel Cormier at some point in time uh, for Cormier's heavyweight title. But now, according to Dana White and an interview that came out at ESPN earlier this week, Lesnar is retired and they are moving in a different direction looking to book uh, Stipe Miocic versus uh, Daniel Cormier, I believe in August or something like that. I'm not sure when the exact date was. But what do you think about this, Sean? Do you think Lesnar's um, retired? Let me know what you think and we'll go from there. I mean, he's doing it for a money grab. He's not doing it for the honor of the sport or to become a world champion. I mean, that'd be nice, but he wants to do it for money. And with the with the UFC's ESPN deal, uh, I don't know how much he could leverage. I don't know what kind of say he has because they get paid regardless. We talked about this before. Now that they have guaranteed money, they don't really have to kowtow to anybody. Now, if this fight was going to be made maybe a year ago this time, the UFC might pay whatever they need to pay to get Brock Lesnar in there because they need those pay-per-view buys. But once you have a guaranteed salary, uh, your, your hunger to go to work and push kind of falls off a little bit. And I think Brock Lesnar is a victim, an example of being a victim of that very same uh, issue. So what I find interesting, I think that, I mean, we, we've seen Lesnar do this in the past. We've seen him use organizations against each other as leverage. I'm willing to bet that there's some leverage being played against the WWE as well. I actually just wrote about that, especially with WWE being in a position where their stock prices are falling left and right and their ratings are falling even faster. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a situation where he is using them against each other in some way, shape, or form. Do I think he's going to fight back in the UFC? I think he will. I think this is just a leveraging ploy, and we're going to see that fight get booked in one way or another. He doesn't have the pull when it comes to pay-per-view buys as he did years ago, but I believe they'll find some way to pay him, uh, and, and everyone will make money all around. Yeah, well, they're just going to have to pay him because Brock Lesnar, isn't, he, he's not like these other fighters who are getting 20 and 20 and 8 and 8. Like, he has a real, he had a real job. He early on in his in his career before he even got into mix you're breaking up a little bit Sean. so he's not desperate the ufc can't leverage him they can't push him yeah uh i got, got you, you now. Me? i got you now man yeah the ufc just can't leverage him like they have other people like some of these other people you know they got a hundred thousand dollars they're happy brock lesnar's kind of set he doesn't need the money he just wants it so if the UFC is gonna pay him more or figure out some kind of way to take care of him yeah but if they're just gonna stand 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 
So, Schwan, I need you to get to a place where you're um, again in a fight that he's most likely going to lose. So, now, Schwan, get to a place where your connections. Schwan, gonna, um, it doesn't do him any good. Schwann, not at this stage of his career. All right, so Schwan's going to reconnect real quick. He uh, had uh, some technical issues there. But, yeah, as I wrote about earlier uh, today, I just do not think that Lesnar is really retired. I mean, he's 41 years old, and we've seen that in MMA, the heavyweights do stick around. I mean, we just watched Alex Overeem get a big win a couple of weeks ago, and, and and we see guys like Andre Arlovsky still in there. We see Josh Barnett signing with Bellator. So we've seen so many different situations where heavyweights stick around for an extended period of time after uh, the age of 40. So I don't think he is going anywhere. And I think this is a negotiation uh, tactic. And I'm not mad at him in the past. He has the opportunity to make the most of it. I'm, again, I'm, all, I'm here for everyone making all the money that they can possibly make. Do I think this will end well for Stipe? Um, I don't know. I do not know. I don't know. Like, like seriously, because he, you know, he lost the fight to Cormier, and there was no way in hell he was going to get an immediate rematch if this did not occur. I don't think that the promotion was in a position where they wanted to give him a um, rematch at all. And he was clearly the C option in this situation because I believe had John Jones done more to jockey for a heavyweight title fight, he would have probably been the next option, if not Lesnar. Stipe needs to understand that he is not the priority to the UFC right now. And it's and it's a situation where he's not he isn't the biggest draw of all of those three names or two names for Cormier. We know that Cormier is looking to retire in, in the next year or so. So the UFC is trying to rightfully so book him in the fight that helped him get the most uh, money and, and um, secures him as builds him up as a star for these last couple of fights. Let me get Schwan. But and from the WWE side, I'll probably be talking about this if I do a podcast later on in the week. I do not think that they should be interested in bringing him back in as well because now is a time where they need to be focused on what's left of their roster. They need to focus on the other men and women that are there every week and are continuing to excel because right now their ratings are, are down, their house shows are down, their stock prices are down, and they cannot continue to reach back to Brock Lesnar and use him as a as a drawing factor because we see that he isn't, not when it comes to professional wrestling anymore. And his sporadic um, attendance over the last few years hasn't done their product any any service as well. So I think that the WWE doesn't look look to Brock Lesnar at any point in time either. Uh, Shawan, what are your closing thoughts about Brock Lesnar's apparent retirement? Unless he has a unless he has a money issue, I don't see him coming back unless some someone's willing to back raise their offer. That that that's all it seems to me. He's got enough money where he doesn't have to work full time WWE. That's that's why he got away with that deal. And the UFC, unlike a lot of these fighters, he has a sta- he's had a stable income for years. He's got millions. He doesn't have to be anywhere. So unless somebody's going to come up on some money, he's not doing it. I don't. I believe he's not doing it unless unless he's broke. And I don't think he is. He seems like he's too smart for that. Uh, 
So I, I just don't see it happening unless they're going to raise what they're offering him. Yeah, I believe he is worth way too much as well. He's done too much to solidify himself um, as a financial powerhouse. So Cormier needs him. He doesn't need Cormier to make money. Cormier needs him. Yeah, I mean, the only other option for Cormier if he's looking to make the most money on his way out is um, John Jones. And I think after that comes Stipe uh, because the John Jones fight is still worth more than anything Stipe could, could offer at this time. Yep, I agree. So let's look back to this weekend's fights. And there's three fights that jumped out to me I want to cover. And the first one was Hermanson's win over Sosa, where I believe you kind of hinted at this during the week, where if the fight goes to the ground, Hermanson may be a problem with uh, for Sosa. And that's kind of what we saw here. Uh, the fight it looked a lot different than a lot of people were uh, expecting. But um, what were your thoughts at this main event on Saturday? Did you expect Hermanson to win this way? Well, I, I expected him basically to out-hustle Jacare. We had um, T.P. Grant on our show probably like a year and a half ago, and we talked about how Jacare was a good fighter, He, but they had clearly built his skills around his physical attributes. He's usually more explosive. He's pretty durable. He hits very hard. He's very strong. As he's, de- as he's gotten older, his durability has declined. His conditioning has declined. His explosiveness isn't what it was. His power isn't what it was. It's still, it's still dramatic, but it's not what it was. So he's facing a guy who can set a pace, who can build on a pace, a guy who's strong and physical and athletic and younger. That's a bad matchup. Anytime you have a young active fighter who's, who's on an upward swing against a declining fighter who, whose whole skill set is attribute-based. The biggest issue I had is a lot of people were saying that Jacare is better on the ground, and he is. But just because Jacare is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, doesn't mean he's a great all-round grappler. A lot of times when he's dominating on the ground, it's not from the bottom unless he wants to be there. He's usually dominating from the top. We haven't really seen a lot of guys take him down or try him in those spots before. So when everybody's saying that he's just going to sweep, he's just going to finish, why would you believe that? When have you seen him be in extended grappling exchanges where he's on the bottom with a guy who's pressuring him, who's not not scared to engage with him? That hasn't happened. So people are just making making assumptions. And they made the wrong assumption. I said after the fight, this wasn't an upset. This was a bad style matchup for Jacare in the first place. This was similar to the Kelvin Gastelum fight. You just have a young, athletic, tough, busy fighter, except this guy actually has confidence in his ground skills. So there's no place where Jacare has, there's no safety zone. There's no place he's afraid to take the fight, which means Jacare has no place to rest. Most guys, they take, they start attacking him on the feet. They'll be careful on the feet because they don't want to overextend and get taken down. They don't want to get pushed up against the cage and taken down. So they're hesitant. Hermanson had no fear of him on the ground. So Hermanson t- attacked him from every position at every range and took risks. And those risks led to the knockdown. And those risks allowed him to build enough of a lead to hang on and, and pull out the fight. That, that's all that's to it. He didn't give Jacare that respect. And he didn't give Jacare that safety zone that allows him to save his energy and fight in spots and pick when and where he's going to engage with you. He had no way of getting away from Hermanson. Hermanson was on him from bell to the last bell. Winning or losing the fight, he was on him from bell to bell and made him work. And you, older fighters can't work like that. Not for three hard rounds. Not for five hard rounds. They can't do it. They have to pick their spots. So let's talk about um, Hermanson first because I want to know what you think will be next for him because the UFC promised a title shot for Jacare coming out of this fight. As we all know, the middleweight title is currently tied up between 
Israel Adesanya, who's the interim champion, and Robert Whittaker, who's fighting. I think they are scheduled to fight in September. That's what I believe I read about that. And Sosa was supposed to be promised a um, fight against the champion coming out of that. What do you think they should do next with Hermanson? Is he in a position to demand that promise now be his? Or do you think he should be slotted against someone else, against maybe a Kelvin Gastelum in the future later on in the year to kind of carve out that number one contender spot? I wouldn't mind seeing him against Kelvin. I really, really don't think Kelvin should fight for the rest of the year, maybe, maybe even 18 months. He's been super active, and he took a hellacious beating. And he's a guy who's always dependent on his chin. I don't know that I get him in, into, into a tough fight in the next 12 to 18 months. So I, I think Kelvin's off the table. The only person, I don't, only person I think who's free, like free and clear right now, would be maybe Yoel Romero. I don't think Yoel has a fight. And maybe Chris Weidman. And Romero's more dangerous. Romero would be a big win. Romero Weidman would be the best options I see on the table right now. David Branch lost recently to Hermanson. Gasolum's out. Who else is there? Is- Israel's going to fight Robert Whitaker. I guess he could fight the winner of Theodoru um, Brunson. But beating Jacare- after beating Jacare, that's a step backwards. So as far as step forwards, it'd have to be somebody who's got a name, got some cachet. And Weidman hasn't won in a while, but he's still got cachet, the former middleweight champion. And then, of course, Joel Romero would be the probably the, the, sec- the, fir- the second best option. The harder fight, but maybe the second best option as far as name value. If you were, if you were in Hermanson's corner, what would you tell him to do? Do you tell him to wait out and demand that, um, that fight, or do you tell him to do something else? Um, I'd probably, I'd probably tell him to wait, wait and see how the land, landscape shapes out. Because what if Whitaker gets injured again? You might be in prime position to fight for that title. What if it, Israel, Israel Adesanya gets hurt and they need someone to come in? You just came up with a big win over Jacare, probably a more definitive win than Kelvin Gastelum had because Kelvin's fight was kind of back and forth. That was probably the most impressive win over Jacare outside of Whitaker. So I'd probably wait, see how the next couple fights go. And and hold hold on as an alternate for that fight for that middleweight title fight and just keep myself in shape and keep developing my skills because right now he's in the driver's seat. There's no other middleweight on this kind of win streak with this kind of high profile, impressive kind of win coming in. The only other person who's got a win comparable would be Israel Adesanya, and he's already got an interim title for fight. So the only people ahead of you right now, as far as the public eye and performance, is Whitaker and Adesanya. So there's no need to take any chances. Might as well just wait it out and see what happens and see if an opportunity just falls into your lap. Yeah, I definitely think that he's in a situation where maybe he should wait because we've seen so many people in the past kind of take the opportunity and, and keep fighting and that not work out well for them. So I, if I was him, I think I, I would push myself in a situation where you, uh, where you wait and kind of see how things shake out. I mean, hell, Sosa could have waited but he didn't, and he took a fight, and look what happened to him. We saw the same thing recently happened to Frankie Edgar as well. So there's been so many names of, of guys who have continued to I, fight instead of waiting for uh, the opportunity that they kind of had earned, and look how it played out for them. I, I've always respected fighters who fight anywhere, and, and I get that. I understand they're fighters, they're warriors, they're competitors. I get it completely. That, that's what they're supposed to do. But we've talked about this before. Somebody in their camp is supposed to pull them aside and say, You've got a title fight or a big name fight coming up if you just hold your course. Because when you do favors for billionaires, they don't 
return the favor. The UFC does not think Frankie Edgar taking the fight against Ortega was a favor. They think he was doing his job. So he did his job and he got ice and they moved Ortega right into the spot he had. That's what they're going to do. And as I said many times, and I said just a minute ago, stop doing billionaires favors. Look out for yourself. It's a very short career with, with as far as the professional sporting goes, very low salary. So you can't afford to make the wrong decision and you can't afford to be too brave or too warrior like and all this other stuff. You've you got to think of it like a business. you got to take, take it like you're a professional athlete, not just the guy fighting in a cage. There is a difference. Yeah, that's, no, I definitely agree with that. Absolutely. These guys need to look at themselves as a business rather than an, a, than just an employee stepping out there into the cage. What do you do with Sosa? Where do you put him? Because um, I think Hermanson was ranked like number 13 coming into this fight. He was ranked number three. So he's obviously going to drop. I don't know if he's going to drop outside the top 10. But do you think that he continues to fight uh, to get back at that title picture? Or are we looking at a situation where he is on the, the decline, and this is the first step. I think that, I mean, he's already on the decline. That's clear. He's not nearly as durable as he used to be. Hermanson's tough. He's a hard, he hits hard. He's aggressive, but he doesn't hit that hard. And not having been in there, but watching his fights, he doesn't hit that hard. He's not, he's not that hard a hitter. His conditioning isn't, isn't that great to the point where he was running, running Jacare almost out of the cage at moments. Jacare just doesn't, at his age, he doesn't have the conditioning to fight a hard three, four, five rounds. He can't do it. I don't know that he fights a hard two rounds back to back. It's just not in him. He can fight above pace for a little bit, but essentially he picks his spots to explode in. The thing about Jacare is he's still a top three middleweight. I, I can't, outside of the Gaslam fight, could have gone either way. Adesanya and Whitaker, Whitaker and Hermanson are only guys who conclusively, clearly beaten him. I don't know that there's another middleweight outside, outside of um, those two who I would say I could guarantee would beat Jacare and Hermanson beat him, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that I would guarantee Hermanson beats him if they fought again six months from now. I, I just don't know. I know he'd be older, but the fight was competitive enough and Jacare had enough spots where he could have turned the fight. If he lands another punch, he can get in the right position. It was, it was a close fight, but Jacare is still a top three, top five middleweight and he can keep on fighting because most of the guys in there, he's already beaten or I, I believe he could beat. The question is, can he beat the elite guys? Right now, the answer is no. So if he's fighting to be a champion and he can't beat the elite guys, he's fighting for no reason. So I think it's worth another shot to try to go up the mountain one more time. But I have concerns whether he can get through Romero. He hasn't fought Adesanya, but can he get through Adesanya? Can he get through Whitaker? He hasn't gotten through Romero before. He lost to Whitaker. So it's just a matter of him basically dedicating himself and making one last run. He's got one last run in him. But like you said, he is declining, and soon these guys who we could beat easily or at least get by, those those guaranteed wins are going to start turning into losses in the next year or two, especially for a guy with it like him who's leaned heavily on his physical abilities, especially in the striking exchanges. That's going to catch up to him real quick. That works fine ages 20-something, 30-something to whatever. Start getting late 30s, late 40s, that lack of refinement and development in your defense and, and how to bridge distance. That, get, that gets you killed, and it got him killed against Whitaker. It got him killed against Gaslam, and it got him killed against Hermanson. And, and it's, it's going to continue to pile up as he moves further along. Interesting breakdown there, so I, I think that it will be intriguing to see how he looks as he um, continues fighting. I don't know what you do with him right now. Do you book him in a rematch against Weidman, book him in a rematch against Costello? I think those are both really bad fights for him at this point in time. 
So let's see, but I don't know if he is going to remain a top 10, top 15 talent for that much longer. Not, yeah, not much longer, but I mean, outside of, let's say, let's just say we'll throw Gaslam in there. You put Gaslam, Romero, Whitaker, and Adesanya. Those four, let's say we just believe they beat him. Who are the other guys? Maybe Hermanson. So maybe out of all the middleweight division, we have five guys we know we feel can beat Jack Ray. Who are the rest of the guys? So at worst, he's top six, possibly top five. I can't, I can't name five of the middleweights I would guarantee or favor to beat him right now based off what I've seen from the middleweights in the recent years. True, true there. So there's another fight I want to talk about, someone on the decline. And I don't know if that's the right way to describe 29-year-old uh, Roy McDonald, who admitted to not being able to pull the trigger against John Fitch uh, when he won their main event fight on Saturday as well. They um, actually, he didn't, well, he didn't win the fight, actually. He went to a draw, but due to the rules of the Bellator Welterweight Grand Prix, he's the one that's moving on. So what did you think about this fight between both men and the fact that McDonald made it quite clear that he doesn't know if he can hurt people anymore? Uh, well, I think I think if you're a real cerebral fighter, it's not the first time you've heard fighters. Most fighters hint at this. A lot of them hint at this often. He's the only fighter who's come right out and actually said, hey, I don't know that I can hurt somebody. If you think about it, Damian Maya said for years he doesn't want to beat anybody up. That's why he grapples. Cause he doesn't want to kick and knee someone in submission. He just wants to get a chokehold on them, arm bar, have them submit, get up. Everybody's fine. No bruise, no concussions, no broken bones. We just walk our separate ways. You tap out. I go my way in the winner circle. You go your way in the loser circle. Dam- Damian Maya said that repeatedly. A lot of grappling types have said that. It's just the way Roy said it was very jarring to people because this is the hurt business and everybody's so hung up on, you know, I'm a warrior. If you put me in the Coliseum, I would be fighting for blood and I'm willing to die in there. A lot of guys say that stuff because it sounds good. Less than 2% of those guys really mean it. And you can tell because when they start really getting beat up, they don't act like they're ready to die. And I'm not saying that's an insult. That's just a fact. A lot of people say a lot of things. So it's just jarring to hear somebody say, I don't know that I'm really committed to the full extent of this, what this sport demands. But if you're in another sport, people say that all the time. They say it in football, they say it in basketball. I know it's different because it's a combat sport. But there's lots of people who aren't 100% committed to the sport. And they're only in it because they're good at it. And Rory might be one of those people. And fortunately for him, he's a good enough technician with a good enough sh- and a good enough strategist with a broad, en- broad enough skill set and a deep enough skill set that even if he's not willing to kill someone in their quotations, he can still outpoint a lot of guys in the Bellator t- tournament. And he can still outpoint a lot of guys in the UFC welterweight division. He- he's just that good. He's that far ahead of guys as far as his game plan and his identity as a fighter. So, so what I'm interested in is how do you think Rory would do in the next bout? He has Neiman Gracie up next. Um, I don't like, man, like that's going to be a crazy fight there as well too. I think cause Neiman, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a, I wasn't expecting Neiman to get past Ed Ruth. That was, I don't, that was very I don't, yeah, I wasn't expecting him to get past Andrew. B, I wonder what his stand-up will look like because we know Rory's not going to let that fight go down um, to the ground. But again, we've just seen McDonald not look like himself. So I think that this this fight with Neiman Gracie, very uh, it, it, it interests me because Gracie is talking to talk. He's talking like he is going to be someone that can some, kind of bring that, bring that name back up to uh, stature. He'll be the first Gracie actually to hold 
a um, mainstream MMA title if he was to get the win over uh, Roy McDonald. What do you think about that fight being next for the Red King? Well, the thing the thing about it, I just want to make this one point. I said this on Twitter. I'm going to say it again. A lot of people say Roy looks like he's off or he's declined. And to a degree, that is because he's been in MMA for so long. But the thing that makes Roy look so bad now is that is one, he's taking damage. So he's, he's not as durable. He's a little bit hesitant to take that kind of damage, I think, physically and mentally. But the biggest problem is Rory McDonald was kind of like people called him a GSP clone. But the thing about GSP is, even though he didn't finish a lot of fights later on in his career, GSP always had, at least for mixed martial arts, world-class athleticism. He could force a takedown when he wanted. If he, if he wanted to put some heat on a punch and put some heat on it, he could back you up. He put some heat on a kick. He, he could drop you. He could back you up. You, get, you got in the clinches with him and pushed him against the cage, he could explode off the cage. You took him down, he could explode off the ground. Rory McDonald doesn't have that. He was an average athlete as far as world-class athletes go at best. And since he's taken damage and he's a little bit older, he seems even slower. So with him, a lot of what he does is dependent on his ability to be willing to expose himself to a certain amount of punishment in rough spots because he doesn't have that cheat code to get out of bad spots like a Derek Lewis or a uh, Chad Mendez or Cody Garbrandt. He, he doesn't have that explosiveness to get him out. Against Neiman Gracie, Gracie's probably the better athlete at this point. He's a lot younger. He's fresher. I don't know, I don't know mentally how he handles getting beat up, but I know physically he probably can take abuse better than Rory McDonald right now. The problem for him is Rory McDonald, while not, not the most, most technical guy, He's competent in multiple, multiple areas of fighting. He's got competent skills, striking, wrestling, and grappling. I don't know that Neiman Gracie's wrestling or chain wrestling is good enough to get Rory McDonald down. Now, you can say John Fitch took him down, but this is the same John Fitch who was a welterweight contender for, what, four or five years straight? A guy who won a middleweight title in another division? John Fitch and Neiman Gracie are totally different when it comes to takedowns and physical presence in the cage. Now, once again, Neiman Gracie is a much better grappler, but we've seen Rory McDonald against world-class grapplers. If Neiman Gracie does not have a consistent and varied enough stand-up attack to create those entries for those takedowns, he's not going to get Rory McDonald down. He's not going to keep him down, and he's going to exhaust himself trying to force those takedowns, and he's going to exhaust himself getting chopped up by that jab and those outside leg kicks and those body kicks. We've seen a version of this fight before against Damian Maya. Now, I'm not saying Neiman, once again, is a better athlete. He's younger. He's probably a little bit more he's got his style of grappling a little bit more modernized as far as mixed martial arts but we haven't seen him face real resistance and anytime you have a guy who's got athletic ability and a key area of skill but they've never faced resistance it's hard for me to bet on that person because i don't know what that person can do when it gets rough i don't know what neiman gracie does against a steady jab i don't know what he does against chris footwork i don't know what he does against a guy who does not want to be on the ground with him and has enough skills and poise to work his way out of bad positions. I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm going to have to favor Rory because I'm always going to go with experience. And Rory's proven at a world-class level. And Neiman, even though he beat Ed Ruth, Ed Ruth, as good as he is, hadn't really beaten a world-class fighter himself. So you had two guys with a lot of potential, and one guy beat another guy. He, he hasn't beaten a world-class, legitimately tested fighter yet. Rory McDonald is actually a tough stylistic matchup for him. And I think Rory McDonald, if he's if his head's on straight, wins the fight. He doesn't have to beat Neiman up to win the fight. He doesn't have to be savage and bloody. 
if he's technical and precise and surgical, that actually serves him better because it forces Neiman to have to force the fight and take chances to get to the spots he wants, get to the spots he needs to be in. And you want a young fighter taking chances because that's when they get into danger. And if they've never been in danger, they don't know how to react. Good stuff, good stuff there, sir. And you, actually, you mentioned a young fighter. I want to talk about Lee McFarland and her big win on Saturday as well. It wasn't a great fight from start to finish, but she opened a nasty gash on, on, on um, I think Ortega is the woman's last name, opened a nasty yes. gash on her forehead. Talk to me about that fight there. And are you impressed with what you saw from the Hawaiian fighter, or do you think she still has some room to grow before she uh, is considered elite amongst the women in, in MMA? If, if she was in the UFC right now, I, I would probably prank her no worse than second or third division. I, I don't know who would be ahead of her at second. She'd probably be second in the division. I feel she could give Valentina a tough fight right now. The thing I like about McFarlane is as good as she is as a grappler, the fact of the matter is she has a mean streak when she fights. Like, she punishes people. She really lays a beating on people before she chokes them out. And not just that, but physically, she's very durable. Like, some fighters, especially grapplers, tend to... I don't want to say they shy away from contact, but in certain ranges, they're trying to avoid those ranges because they want to get their hands on the guy, get him to where they want and finish him quickly. Elimile is just as efficient, but she doesn't mind getting her hands dirty. She doesn't mind getting in exchanges. She doesn't mind getting the scrambles and getting in positions where she might have to take some to give some. And that's what separates her from a lot of grappler types because they're trying to avoid that altogether. You can see them. That's why they rush the takedowns. They explode with those big bursts of offense. They jump across distance instead of coming behind a jab and inching their way in a distance. Instead of taking quarter steps, half steps, they jump across because they're trying to skip a whole step of mixed martial arts. And that's what gets a lot of them in trouble at the highest level. Alimile has a solid wrestling attack. She can chain takedowns. She can physically grind and wear on you. And in stand-up exchanges, she's not afraid to get into them. If anything, she gets too anxious and against a, a higher class opponent, she could walk herself into counters or walk herself into takedowns. But as a fighter, she's she's very impressive to me. I don't I don't see a lot of holes. Well, I, I do see some, but I'm not going to say them right now because somebody might hire me to see if I can exploit them. <laughs> but she's a very good fighter. I, I'm very impressed with her. And she's a nice person. I actually talked to her once and because um, I was trying to invite her on the show, but there's Bellator Red Tape. Really nice, really friendly, and uh, just really eager to appear on it. I got to see if Bellator... Stop being jerks, but whatever. She's a really nice person, but um, she's a really complete fighter, and I think she's far and away better than anything they have in Bellator. And at worst, she'd be a top three um, person, top three person in the UFC right now. She's really good. It, I can't, I can't understate how good she is as a fighter and how much potential she has because she's still young in her career. She's still developing other aspects in her. She's still on her upward swing. So in the next year, two years, three years, she could really be the best fighter in the world at her weight class. Yeah, I'm definitely liking what I'm seeing from her. She's embracing her position as a star, and I think the organization itself is embracing their position around her as well. She's definitely become someone that's kind of flourishing, uh, for lack of a better term, and, and I, I like what I'm getting from her. Uh, I think I think she has the personality to kind of have that division built around her. She still has some challenges she hasn't faced in that group quite yet, and I hope that they continue to find ample talent for her to face. But I, I, I like what I'm seeing from her. I love what she says when she has a microphone in front of her face and she goes into the cage and she performs quite well to back up uh, back up all of that talk. So uh, I'm a fan of Lima Landis-Farland, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for her. She's going to have the same problem that 
Demetrius Johnson had in that because she's such a good fighter, there's not going to be a lot of people won't get the seasoning and the experience to give their best effort against her because she keeps running through everybody. She already, I forgot the other girl, the girl she fought where she got the initial title from. Um, La Gortita, I forgot her name. She's another, she's another fighter. She beat her already twice, and she was one of the top three people. She's just knocking people off. So you have young contenders coming in who've got some skill, got some talent, but they need seasoning. They need experience. They need rounds against qualified, tenured, balanced fighters, and they're not going to get it. They're going to win one or two fights, get thrown in with McFarland. McFarland's going to beat the hell out of him and send him right back to the end of the line. And that's what, that's what Demetrius Johnson did. He got Horiguchi early. Horiguchi had his identity stable before he had really got in a feel for the cage, before he had really developed himself as a, fight, a complete fighter. Horiguchi now versus Demetrius Johnson, that's a tough fight. That's a 50-50 fight. Horiguchi then against Demetrius Johnson was like a 70-30 fight. He just didn't have the experience. And when you have a dominant champion, it's hard to get experience because they're walking through everybody. So anybody who can put two fights together is getting thrown right in, or they come from another organization and get thrown right in. Either way, you don't have enough time to build interest in that fighter. You don't have enough time to build the fighter themselves. So she's going to start having that problem very soon. And I expect when her contract's up uh, to see a big offer from the UFC for her, if she can keep going in this direction. I mean, let's face it. She's already been, she's already headlined Hawaii. Uh, UFC has a champion who's been a champion for what? The better part of a year or two. How come they ain't done no Hawaii shows yet? They had another champion who was a big star. Still no Hawaii shows. But McFarland's already already headlined in Hawaii. True, true. So let's talk. Uh, what else stood out for you from this past weekend of action before we jump into previewing this week's, um, this coming weekend's fights? Um, Angela Hill picked up a win, and I was really glad for that. I, I know it sounds like I'm very hard on Angela Hill, but the fact, the thing I have with her is like she is made to be a star. Like she could be a breakout mixed martial arts star and cross over. She's got charisma. She's attractive. She's into cosplay and anime and, and comic books. And also, she has so many things she can appeal to, but she can never seem to put wins together. And so the UFC can never get really get behind her. I know she said that there's girls who can fight and girls who look good, and there's a few who can do both. But the thing that's always been her worst enemy is her lack of consistency. And she won fairly impressively against Jody Escabel. But once again, you see some of the limitations in her skill set because Escabel, she's a better athlete than her. At this point, she's a better class of fighter. She's a better striker. And at certain points in that fight, Escabel was going, Jody was going even money with her. And that shouldn't have happened for a person who constantly touts themselves as an elite talent in the division. But she just has some issues as far as her, the cohesiveness of her offense and the structure and the dependability of her defense that constantly gets her in back and forth fights, whether she's fighting an elite girl or she's fighting a girl who's nowhere near elite. And that's the kind of stuff that keeps her from ever taking that next step forward because everybody can say things about Paige Van Zandt got set up and Alex Grasso got set up and this person got set up and Conor McGregor got favorable matchups. But the thing about it is they won and they won impressively. And that's what helped legitimize their star. As good as Angela Hill has the potential to be, and as much charisma and charm as she has, she has not been able to win impressively constantly. She's lost impressively, but she has not won impressively, and she hasn't won continuously. And once again, we saw another example of what keeps holding her back in her ventures to be a star in mixed martial arts or even a, an elite fighter. And it's kind of frustrating to see somebody with that kind of talent. 
Yeah, it is pretty interesting to see someone with that much uh, talent. And speaking of some talented fighters, man, we are headed for a pretty interesting main event on Saturday where we have Al Quinta fighting against Donald Cerrone uh, for five rounds in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, which I think is going to be a pretty intriguing fight. I wrote about this for MMA ratings this past week, um, waiting, on, waiting on that post to go up. I am intrigued to see how this fight breaks down because there's two men with two interestingly different styles. And I am, I've been going back and forth on this fight and what I think we will see. But I, from a business standpoint, I think Iaquinta has more on the line than Cerrone. And it, we'll see what happens um, because I, I just think that Iaquinta has more from a business standpoint on, on this fight, seeing how he's never really been the company man as compared to Cerrone, who's always been a company man from day one. What do you think about this fight stylistically? How do you see it going down? There's a couple things first. Aya Quinta, his whole unwillingness to be a company man has done his reputation a huge favor. Now he's thought of as a trailblazer. He stood up to the company. He's a real man. He doesn't fall in line. He stands up for the fighters. He speaks up for the fans. Yeah. Made him a big star. But the fact of the matter, if you look at his resume closely, he doesn't have a lot of wins over elite fighters. Joe Lozon was an elite when he fought Ally Quinta. Russ Pearson was an elite when he fought Ally Quinta. Beating Diego Sanchez, I mean, Diego, I'm still a fan. He, he, he's pulled up some, uh, some upset wins recently. But Diego Sanchez was an elite when, Joe, when, when um, Aya Quinta beat him. His most impressive performance w- was losing to Khabib Nurm- Nurmagomedov on a short-notice fight. That's the best performance of his UFC career. That's the performance everybody keeps referencing when talking about Iaquinta. Not any win he's had. The fact that he lost a competitive fight against Khabib Nurmagomedov on a last-minute fight. I'm going to cut in right there because I thought he lost this fight, but he does have a win against Jorge Masvidal, who's probably about to fight for a welterweight title if he gets has been asked and I have wrote, right, wrote two wins over Kevin Lee, especially the second one. The second one was a little bit more ugly than the first. But he does have two wins over Kevin Lee, a man who fought for the uh, interim lightweight title. So those are probably his three biggest wins. But outside of that, I don't think he, he doesn't have any wins or he hasn't really even faced any other ranked opponents outside of those three men. I like Kevin or, excuse Lee. Me, those, those two fights, but those two men in three fights, excuse me. I like Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee's entertaining. He's got a look. He's got some charm. He's another person who has star potential. But the fight, the win against Kevin Lee, wasn't Al Quinta being such a great technical fighter or great athlete. The win was Kevin Lee having flaws and strate- strategic and technical flaws that he didn't fix. He fought Kevin Lee in 2014, and Kevin Lee made the same mistakes he made in that first fight four years later. He made the same mistakes. The same stuff he did wrong in the first fight, he did wrong in the second fight. It was almost like a mirror image. I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you giving Aya Quinta the fight he wants? Like, literally, he did what he would. It was, it was almost a mirror. He had a chance on the ground. He couldn't maintain that. And then Aya Quinta walked him down. Kevin Lee's a great athlete, great grappler. He's a great attribute striker. 
which means he's got physical tools which allow him to succeed, even though he has a limited skill set as far as his strikes. His strikes are very predictable. He's not fluid as a striker. He's not good defensively as a striker. If he's not pressuring you, he ain't doing much. And once he stopped pressuring Iaquinta, he just got beat up. I, that fight that fight was impressive because Kevin Lee went on a streak and it was he was ranked. It wasn't that impressive to me because I called that months before. I didn't think there was any chance Kevin Lee had to win it. And Kevin Lee got got beat up and, and it pretty much went the way I thought it was. I thought it was bad cornering, bad preparation, bad fight for Lee all around. Iaquinta can fight. He's very smart. He's very technical. He's got a lot of poise and composure. He puts a lot of pressure on people. He has a grinding physical nature. But the thing about Iaquinta is he doesn't have any one way to take over a fight. Not submission-wise, he's not a guy who you hit the ground with, he finishes you on the feet. He's not a finisher. If he's a finisher, he would ice Kevin Lee. He did not. He's not a big puncher. He hit Kevin Lee with so many clean punches. Why was Kevin Lee still on his feet at the end of the fight? He's not even a great defensive striker because, I don't know if people remember this, Khabib was working him on the feet. People keep talking about, well, Khabib couldn't take him down. Khabib was out landing him on the feet. Khabib was out boxing him. Outboxing him. So, once again, we have to call things the way they are. The question becomes, is Donald Cerrone physically durable enough and is his conditioning well enough that he can hang in a fight with a guy like Iaquinta? Because Iaquinta is not going to quit. Iaquinta is not going to back off. Iaquinta is not going to let you off the hook. To beat Iaquinta, you are going to have to fight him. You're going to have to earn the win. He's not giving you anything. And Donald Cerrone, especially late in his career, hasn't been very durable, and hasn't been able to maintain a high pace throughout throughout a fight. He just hasn't. He lost against Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards outpaced him. He was fighting Robbie Lawler. He was kind of up and down as far as his energy level. When he fought Jorge Masvidal, when Jorge started countering those kicks and putting strikes together on him, Donald just couldn't take it. But Jorge's a much harder hitter and a more accurate puncher than Iaquinta. So really it comes down to this. If Donald Cerrone's durability is there, and his cardio is there, he's going to beat Iaquinta. I think he's got the better skill set. He's, he's not a good enough boxer, but the fact of the matter is his boxing has increased, and Iaquinta, in my opinion, isn't hard to find. He looks like a very good defensive fighter because he's fought a bunch of guys who can't strike. So he, doesn't, he, he looks super slick. When he fought Masaval, he, he didn't look as good as he looked coming into the cage because Masaval can box, he can kickbox, he can fight a mid-range, long-range, close-range. He had to work for that. Donald Cerrone isn't as good in the mid-range, but he's good in the clinch. He's good at long range. The best place that Iaquinta can take advantage of him is in that boxing range. But even then, Iaquinta is not the biggest hitter, and Iaquinta tends to fall into clinches. So I think Cerrone can finish him. I think he can finish him on the feet. I think he can finish him on the ground. The question is, does Cerrone have enough left in the tank physically as far as durability and conditioning to fight at the pace and take the shots necessary to beat Iaquinta? Because if he starts shelling up or he starts having that bad body language, Iaquinta's just going to jump on him and dog walk him. Walk him until he ain't got nothing left and then either pull away late. Poss- I don't think he finishes, but he could pull away late. Maybe he finishes. But if, if Cerrone can hang in there, take control of the fight, gain control of the distance, gain control of the pace of the fight, start slowing it down and make it more technical, whether it's on the ground or on the feet, and it's not high pace, um, Iaquinta's going to have some problems. Because Cerrone isn't an elite guy in the sense that he's beaten elite guys, but Cerrone's elite in the fact that he's beaten everybody except the very best. So if Iaquinta is not the very best, that means he falls into that category of being second, set high second tier, middle second tier fighter. Cerrone usually wins against those kind of guys. 
the question is, can he take the punishment and can he fight at a pace long enough to get control of the fight or to score damage, fight changing damage? I, I don't know. I don't know that about Donald anymore. He's so touch and go in, in how he, one fight he can't take a, take a shot. Next fight, he's taking bombs and firing right back. But that's the biggest question in this fight, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that I think that the big thing we're, we're going to see is whether or not Iaquinta can stay under control. He has that name raging now for a reason, and I am interested in seeing how he can remain um, under uh, he, if he can remain composed through this fight. But I'm also interested in seeing what kind of pace does Donald Cerrone get off of. Get or how does he start this fight? We know that he is a, a habitual slow starter, so I wonder how he will look. Coming out of, out of the gate, seeing how this is a, is a return. No, he, he already fought at one fifty five. Um, but seeing how he has is a, is a consistently slow starter, I'm wondering how he'll look coming out the gates. But this fight definitely interests me. Um, as I was kind of looking at it a little bit more, as I did some writing on on it, I was a little bit more intrigued in how this fight will look come Saturday and what the what the breakdown will be at the end. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. A lot of it's interesting because of the storylines. Uh, Donald Cerrone says he's serious about fighting. He's got a kid. Now he's going for the bell. He's not screwing around anymore. Iaquinta is constantly attacking the promotion and kind of calling his own shots. I mean, no offense. I've never seen a guy who's talked about being this close to the title with a weaker resume in his past three to four fights. I mean, seriously, outside of Kevin Lee, you look at you look at his, his resume and who he's beaten in the past couple of years. We ain't talking really good guys. I mean, the Masvidal fight, was was a couple years ago was like well no that's like four years ago that was the yeah, last yeah. really top guy he fought he he lost to Khabib he beat Kevin Lee Diego Sanchez Joe Lazan Ross Pier- I mean his his resume is not filled with a lot of guys who he hasn't been building to a title fight him taking this break and then coming back and kind of calling his shots has really gotten the fans behind him and kind of catapulted him into the spotlight and he's taken full advantage of it but he hasn't really faced a well-rounded fighter Kevin Lee as good as he is is not well-rounded. He's a front runner, a very good front runner, but a front runner nonetheless. When he fought a well-rounded fighter, Khabib, he lost. Yeah, he hung in there. Yeah, he didn't get finished. He also didn't win a round. Let's not forget that. He didn't win a round. Conor McGregor got finished. Conor McGregor went around. He did not win a round. So I'm not, trying to, I'm, not, I'm not trying to downplay him, but I'm just stating facts. Whoever wins this fight, I still don't think she get a title fight next. I think she'll fight at least one more time, whether it's Donald Cerrone or him. I think they should fight one more time. Um, I don't. Donald probably can get one because he's popular. I don't know that Iaquinta has enough pull to get a title fight. And if Khabib's still the champion, um, I can't justify that rematch. I can't justify it right now, not financially, and not as regards as a competitive fight. I, I can't. I can't justify it. But it, it's a very interesting fight. The company man against the uh, the guy who breaks all the rules. So there's a lot. There's a lot of interesting levels to this fight. And uh, I don't think Dana White would be happy. I think Dana White would be happy if Cerrone finishes, gets Iaquinta out of there. And what you said, you said something interesting there because I think that for Donald, I don't think a title is worth next to him if he gets a win out of this. I think a fight against um, Conor McGregor, that conversation comes back up. Um, Red panty night? Say it again? Red panty night? <laughs> I mean, I think that conversation comes back up because right now we know that that's the fight he's been pushing for, but it just hasn't happened because of various reasons. And I think that if he gets this win, that is a, that is the type of fight that would, would be booked coming out of um, this type of main event. 
Yeah, yeah. You know what? You're probably you're probably right. If I if I was him and I could still give that fight, I, I'd probably have to take it with two wins, two big wins at lightweight. Conor McGregor fights, he beats Conor, he gets a title fight. Conor beats him, Conor can get right back into a title fight because they they both have that kind of cachet with the public. So yeah, no, that that's a good call. That is an excellent point. It, it yeah, shouldn't be, it but that's an excellent point. I think that that's the way that is going to go for Iaquint. I think he does get on the short list for a title shot, but I think for um. For Donald, is definitely a, a a better situation for him to get that uh for, for to get that Conor McGregor fight because that is definitely more money for him and that's something that the UFC can leverage. I also yep. um wanted to touch upon the Derek Brunson and Elias Theodore fight because Elias Theodore was someone I'm always kind of been intrigued with uh, with how he competes and seeing what he can do because uh, he just hasn't he hasn't to me he doesn't seem like he's reached that second gear yet what are your thoughts about him and, and how he's going to uh either fight here and what is his what is his ceiling oh wait say uh, about elias or brunson elias Sorry, just, elias i think he's a smart fighter i think the biggest thing i like about him is he he knows who he is he knows his limitations he knows his skill set and he plays to his strength he's kind of like ryan hall he doesn't execute as well as ryan hall and he's a little bit more vulnerable. That's why guys are willing to fight him, and they'll skip Ryan Hall. But Ryan Hall doesn't get out of his character. He knows he's a grappler, so he learns striking style and striking techniques to protect him on the feet and force him into the ranges he wants to re- transition into to get the fight where he wants it. Theodoro knows that he's not this stand-in-the-pocket kind of banger. He's not an aggressive counterpuncher. He's not some kind of slick defensive guy. He's a guy who uses part of his defense is the pace he sets and the mobility he has. And he uses that to a full extent. He throws a lot of volume. He moves around a lot. He basically just racks up, piles up points by hit, hitting you with shots that aren't really doing a lot of damage, moving around where guys can't really catch him and they get out of position and get hit or they get out of position and pushed up against the cage or taken down. So he fights. Not He's not really world-class technically, but as far as having an identity, playing to his strengths and fighting to the best of his ability or fighting the way he should fight, he's, he's essentially world-class. And I think... I don't think that he has the athletic talent to really be one of the best fighters in the division. I think the guys that the the, the highest have the skill set to, to kind of take advantage of what he does technically as far as his wrestling. His takedown's not great. His control isn't great. His stand-up, while very busy and very active, is not super slick and is not super layered. Robert Whitaker can handle that. Israel Azania wants a guy coming forward throwing volume. He just fought Kelvin Gaslam. Gaslam did the same thing. And Theodoro is not very defensively sound either. Yo Romero, I can't see Theodoro getting through him. So there's three guys. Maybe Jack Hermanson would be a good fight, but he has clear holes where guys could exploit. But against the rest of the UFC, especially the middleweight division that's kind of thin and uneven, I, I, I think he could work himself into a top six, top five position. I mean, a couple of things go right. He could be he could be in position for a title fight. He just got to win the right fights. That division is so topsy-turvy. But as far as a long-term moving forward, like could he be a dominant champion? I, I just don't see how. I don't think he's a finisher. And as smart as he is, he's not very durable. And like I said, he can't afford to make a lot of mistakes because he can't turn a fight around at the nearest notice. Derek Brunson, as flawed as he is, can land one punch and turn the fight around. Elias could be losing a fight and land a 1,000 punches, and he's still not turning the fight around because he doesn't have that kind of athletic ability and that kind of power. So he has to fight super clean fights, and he has to maintain a certain amount of control in all his fights. Otherwise, he's going to lose because he doesn't do enough damage, and he's not enough. He he doesn't fight in a manner that draws attention. 
Like it doesn't. Oh, he got that takedown. When he gets a takedown, it doesn't look the same as when you Rio Romero gets a takedown or when Derek Brunson gets a takedown. It just carries a little bit more weight with the judges. It does a little bit more damage when they land shots. And with a guy with that kind of stealing athletically, it's hard to imagine him going, being the elite or being the apex predator in the division. It's just very hard for me to imagine that happening. I see, and I've always wondered how far um, Theodore could get. I've always kind of looked at him as someone that's like a a fringe player. Like he'll he'll put together three, four. I want to. He'll put together three or four good wins, but at the end of the day, he'll he won't get that top, and that's all. Always stood out. Whenever we bring up Elias Theodore, I mean he's I mean he's only thirty years old. He's still rather young. Three fight but what does that really mean when you think about him? Yeah, yeah. the thing is, like I said, he's smart, but when you look at him, he's made some improvements, but it, he's, he seems like he's at a stage where he can't make large improvements anymore. Like, he's gotten a little bit better, but can you really say he's got, he fights a lot different than he used to fight? He's a lot better? I don't see it. His takedowns aren't a lot better than they used to be. They're not a lot more technical or a lot more explosive. His striking, his defense, it's not leaps and bounds better. He He's past the point where he's making these huge steps forward. To me, he's kind of closer to his plateau. He's like a version of a Forrest Griffin or Diego Sanchez, a guy who's got will, who's got a style, and who's got enough cardio that he, he can work his way through a lot of guys. But he's getting to the point where his talent is hitting the ceiling. And once you hit that glass ceiling, it's kind of where you stop. Now, if he gets the right matchup or the right things happen, he could fall into a spot where he could be a, a contender or maybe a champion, I guess. But it's just so, so many things have to happen for that to, to go his way. So many things have to fall, go his way for that to happen. And I don't, I, don't, I don't see it going that way. What do you think about this fight between Shane Burgos and Cub Swanson that we had at 145 pounds? This fight also uh, interests me as well. This is a – Swanson, if he wants to be considered a legitimate world-class fighter still, he's got to win this fight. Uh, the fight – the loss of Frank Yeager wasn't terrible. Uh, who did he else did he lose to recently? I forgot. Was it Moicano? Uh, yes. Moicano is also a guy who's who's close to the lead, and he, he's always putting good performances. But it's getting, Ortega too. Yeah, Ortega. Ortega, considering his ascension, the Ortega loss is forgivable. The Edgar, Frank Edgar has always been an elite guy, so we can forgive that. But uh, the Moicano loss is the kind of fight Cub Swanson wouldn't have lost two years ago. And the fight again in this fight is another fight that Cub Swanson wouldn't have lost two years ago. And I really think that Cub has taken a, been in a lot of wars, taken a lot of punishment, and he's lost some of his world-class athleticism. And some of the holes in his striking are getting exploited. A lot of what Cub does is off, it's like jazz music. It's off rhythm. It's off kilter. It's quarter beats, half beats, notes, jumps back and forth. And his athleticism and his power allowed him to take advantage of that rhythm. He had holes in his game that he didn't have to fill because his athletic ability allowed him to navigate it. Now he's taken some wars. He's been fighting for years and years. Guys are familiar with his style. So guys know where to find, guys want to know where to exploit him at. Guys also know that he doesn't have the explosiveness, explosiveness and the speed to make up for these holes that he has in his striking. He's like a typical Jackson Wink fighter. He's got good individual techniques, but there's no sort of cohesive structure in his striking. He goes from a one to a six, a six to a two, a three to a one, it, it's just no, there's no real rhyme or reason. There's no real poise and precision to it. Not when the fight gets difficult, not when he's under duress. Burgos is athletic. 
He's tough. He's a hard hitter. He sets a he sets a good pace, and he's willing to exchange. And right now, Cub looks gun shy in exchanges. He doesn't look as durable as he used to. And recently, he looks like he has a hard time pulling the trigger. And I don't know if it's because his timing's off, or he doesn't want to he doesn't want to face the heat that's going to come when you pull the trigger and get into an exchange. I mean, there's there's not not seeing the opening. There's not having the timing, and then there's the if I hit this guy, I know he's going to hit hit me back and I don't know if I want to take that kind of heat I don't know which one it is for Cub but it's starting to look like it's one of those and he's starting to become the name you use to show that you're willing to go to the next level at so I would like to see Cub win this but it's 50-50 at best there's a good chance he loses this fight he's been on the decline recently and I I think it all started when he fought the Korean Superboy I said that when that fight happened I said this fight is going to take something out of both guys and since that fight he's had a couple good wins I think but he's had some devastatingly bad losses. It's funny that and, you um, brought up that fight with uh, the Korean Superboy because I was thinking about him earlier today because the Korean Zombie is actually fighting again. He's fighting Mokano in June in um, South Carolina. But we've seen uh, the Korean Superboy once since that fight, and that was that smashing that he took from Jordan Stevens. I wonder what his career is going to look like one to two years down the line. Yeah, it, it's – I mean, as a fake fan – me and you love, you know, you see a good fight, you love it. We love seeing Justin Gaethje fights. We love seeing those kind of wars. But the only reason I would tell a fighter you might want to not have many of those or you might want to avoid those is because there is a high price to pay for them. You leave, some of these fighters used to be world-class fighters and they have the world-class beaten out of them in one or two fights. They fought 15 fights, but in one or two fights, they went from 85% world-class fighter to 65% world-class fighter. And you can't make those kind of you, you can't have that much drop off when you don't have a fully rounded skill set, or at least at the very least, you don't have a structure a structured defense that allows you to navigate punishment and work your way out of spots without leaning on your athleticism or your durability. Cub Swanson is a guy who leans heavily on athleticism, timing, and ability. His timing, durability, and athleticism has all declined, which means he's getting hit with shots that he used to get hit with. He isn't putting guys out lights out like he used to, and he can't find the shots that he used to. And, and those kind of fights change you. And I, to my, to my rec- recollection, since that fight, he has not been nearly as savage, nearly as durable, nearly as busy, or nearly as punishing a fighter since that fight. So as we close out today's show, let me know, what else are you, what are you, what else are you looking forward to uh, over the weekend, um, I don't know. I'm really just looking forward to this this kind of event. I just there's there's so many fighters whose careers are really going to be made or broken in this this next event. I'm I'm really curious to see it. The Iaquinta fight and the Cowboy fight is just like I said, it's interesting me on a multiple levels. A lot of the fights that are happening, I'm interested to see the effect it has on the division. When there's a changing of the guard, you know, one guy, the this guy who used to be elite for so many years now is a lower top 10 guy or a lo- lower 13, 14 guy. I like to see the effect it has on the division moving forward because like the featherweight division, for example, Max has come back down off of a pretty physical loss. Is the division up for grabs now? Like, is he vulnerable now? Did that take something out of him where now he can't go back there and dominate? Does he even want to go back to the 45 division? Is the, is the featherweight division going to be open for business now for a new champion? Things like that are, are what really excites me about when I see these events, not always the fight, but what the fight might lead to as a result. And what are you working on for the site this week? 
Um, I've been working on an article for a while. I hope to have it done next week, maybe the week after. It's gonna be it's gonna be over um Michelle Watterson and her recent win streak. And I'm basically going to give five to seven reasons, kind of what I consider the secrets to her success, the rea- the real reasons behind this win streak. Some of them are gonna be positive in her favor, complimenting her camp, her skill set, her poise, her experience. Some of them are gonna be negative where I'm going to have to point out the fact that she's fought some low IQ fighters who have basically engaged her in the way that she wanted to be engaged, who gave her the fight she wanted to get, and that assisted in her win. So I'm going to kind of explore her wins over this time frame and kind of make an assumption or make a come to a conclusion about how that's going to affect her moving forward in her potential chase for a title shot or a potential attempt at a title shot. True, good stuff, sir. So um, I have a couple of pieces that are up on the site. One or that are going up, should be going up. Uh, one about the new 1FC agent re, uh, re, um, certification, which I think is pretty interesting. And another about uh, the Iaquinta Serone fight over the weekend. And as always, man, you can continue to find um, my content on everything from basketball all the way down to in the main professional wrestling. So I want to let everybody know where they can find our weekly content. Before I do that, did you see the Captain America piece? I did not get a chance to read it. You have to look. I, I, a lot of people said it's good. They're like, dude, that's like you really pulled you pulled gifts, and you're like breaking it down like you'd break down an actual fight, dude. I think you might enjoy it. But I um, check that out. guys, you can always find us on iTunes. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on SoundCloud and FM Player on the internet. As always, we're glad that you listen. Uh, we will be having some interviews coming up, but. In the meantime, we'll be giving you great content and the occasional Twitter war set off by your boy, Shawan, as always. And, uh, you know, Rafael will be there to calm me down or change the subject before I get us sued or uh, taken off the airwaves. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, man. So uh, we will be back next week, and I will holler at you then. Uh, take care, man. And just for the fans, every time he transitions, he knows I'm about to say something that's going to get us in trouble. So he's like, on to the let, let's segue to the next fight, Shawan. You're about to get us in trouble, and I don't need that kind of problems. <laughs> That's pretty much how it works. You're right about that. I appreciate it. My family right, appreciates it, man. We'll be back next week. Take it easy. Have a good one.